0: Okie dokie, a podcast for those addicted to the study of Scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to O.D. Samuel! Here I am. What are we going to talk about today?
1: Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels Part 126. We are still... In the middle of the last evening slash night of Jesus' life. And last week we were in John exclusively. And some of this was repeat, but bringing some nuances into these portions where Jesus is, again, it seems like he's in a farewell address, kind of giving some last thoughts, some last teachings before all these climactic moments start taking place regarding his arrest and trial and everything and specifically last week he had this imagery of him being the true vine his father being the vine dresser and this concept of abiding in him and bearing fruit and it's interesting that once again it's it's hard for our western minds to grasp this but he explicitly says that loving god abiding in him is keeping his commandments and that that produces real fruit in your life Um, and that if that's not happening there is going to be this reality of god pruning even removing some branches that are not bearing fruit in order to prioritize the health of the overall vine Um, so and that does not mean anything concerning the status of israel they are still good they are still the vine and after the gospels are over we've got the gentiles that are going to be grafted in to that vine and yeah. so jesus is just reiterating abide in my love like bear fruit he you know, continues about that, real quick uh, go, Samuel. Go, yeah go ahead
0: the thing is uh okay but like as far as israel They're not like totally good, are they? (laughs) But they're not rejected, right? Right. None of that stuff. So you're absolutely right about that. But I just want to highlight, to be removed from the vine, you have to be attached. This isn't a, gee, I thought I was a Christian, but I was wrong. You are attached to the vine, but you are not bearing fruit. And the result is you are removed. Mm. I just, people got to hear that. Yeah. you can't get around that imagery it's a big deal so sorry you keep going ahead you're just you're just you know <laughs> summary whatever go ahead
1: yeah Stephen Roland train um <laughs> he gives another example of what this love looks like that it involves denying yourself laying down your life um, and that's hinting at his upcoming laying down of his life literally yeah. um and again he he tells his disciples that they're no longer servants they're friends that god is disclosing his will for i mean humanity in general but specifically these disciples to go out into the world and lay down their life to showcase the love of god through messiah and then he wraps up the this section by saying that in the same way that people have rejected and hated him that the disciples need to be prepared that the same thing is going to happen to them too and that it's actually fulfilling prophecy that the yeah. the law says that they hated me without cause. Yeah. That's a very tense kind of thing to wrestle with that that's a divine purpose in God's plan.
0: Yeah, and it's great that you ended up there because you know where we pick up it, it is continuing that thought. And so He just tells, I I guess it could sound like bad news, right? Hey, whatever happened to me, how they hated me, they're going to hate you. Those kind of things are going to happen to you. Then we get to John chapter 15, verse 26 and 27, says this. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness... About me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. All right. So you can probably hear in that is, hey, you know, I just said that maybe this bad stuff will be coming upon you, but guess what? You're not going to be totally alone. You got somebody coming alongside the Holy Spirit. And You know, a lot of people look at this and say, look, in in the history of God and humanity or whatever, this is kind of a new and different thing. Some people don't look at it that way. Whatever. I'm good with it. It does feel kind of new and different to me, and I think it's available to everybody. But anyway, however you look at it, it doesn't really matter. Jesus is, is speaking of the Holy Spirit calls him a helper, and okay, we should at least remember, we did talk about this a little bit before, it was back in John uh, fourteen twenty six, and at that point, though, we were focusing on his role as an instructor, and, and we, we brought up the other words, he was some sort of helper, or even a counselor, or an advisor, you know, different things. But the point there seemed to be that he was helping them, or us, understand God's Torah, God's character, God's nature, so that we could image him. Now here, the emphasis seems to be leaning towards something more of a legal nature. And that connects to, you know, just one of the other meanings of the other words we were talking about, this this idea of a counselor or a legal assistant if you can think of it that way, like in a court of law. Now, if we make this really personal, we might imagine him, uh, him being the Holy Spirit, as sort of like an advocate in a courtroom. And so we've talked about Satan as if he is the accuser, and so you might imagine him as one attorney that's prosecuting you, and the Holy Spirit is the other attorney that's defending you. Okay, so that's that's kind of some cool imagery. That's really personal, though, and as is so often the case, guess what? It's not all about you. It's not all about me, right? So what Jesus here is saying is that the Holy Spirit is going to bear witness, and here's that that legal jargon I was talking about. Bearing witness is like testimony in court. But the Holy Spirit is bearing witness about Jesus. Why? Well, many reasons, I'm sure, but ultimately so that the disciples can also bear witness about him. And that isn't just them, that's going to include us as well. So they, the the disciples here in this specific context, they are already legally valid witnesses because they are the true eyewitnesses to his entire ministry. That was really, really important. Even when you Like, look ahead a little bit. We go to the book of Acts. We're looking at chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. They're trying to replace Judas. He betrayed Jesus, and then he went and killed himself. They no longer are 12. They are only 11. They want to replace him. Well, if you read through that, they are really, really picky about, it's got to be somebody who's been an eyewitness for the entire time, just like us. So it's kind of neat. So anyway, they are these legal valid witnesses. Now, if we extend this to us, you know, we might imagine that the world now is this big courtroom and that we, along with the Holy Spirit's help, are giving testimony on Jesus's behalf. And so if the world, and I mean, you know, let's be reasonable, the world that's within your influence, it's not all up to you and you alone. But if the world within your influence is somehow not convinced, well, we're in Kentucky, right, Samuel? If they ain't convinced, <laughs> then you need to be a better witness. Or if you look at it the other way, maybe you're a better lawyer or, or something, right? The world should find Jesus convincing because of you and your life. You need to image him better. Your thoughts, your words, your actions, they all matter. And they always do. Why? Because you represent him. You are his body on the earth. So it's good news. It's a high calling, but you know what? We've got help. The spirit he's it's he's with us. It's good.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think about what this looks like within a first century Jewish context in terms of being a better witness and better lawyer through the Spirit's help advocating on your behalf. Because within our modern world, you know, the evangelical church often paints that as, you know, you need to have a spiel memorized, ready to be able to summarize the gospel in, you know, a quick conversation with someone. But I I have a feeling that that wasn't exactly the case within what Jesus was intending or what the apostles were in, like intending later in the book of Acts, it seems much more like fully encompassing the entirety of one's life and how they conduct themselves. And yeah. it's, it, uh, it's almost like a uh, have I think you've said it in the past. It's like going to some kind of official meeting and, and you're representing somebody that's not there and the way in which you conduct yourself showcases the uh, the authority, the testimony of that person that you're trying to represent to be true and valid.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, at least at the beginning or, or to some extent, there are similarities. I mean, certainly I think these guys were going around and, and saying, dude, if you ain't heard about it, this Jesus cat was real. For real dough, you know what I'm saying <laughs> I mean so there I mean there was that part, sort of what we think of as modern evangelism you've got to spread the word, tell people about jesus i mean there there was an aspect of that, a component like that, but I think what you're getting at is the part where it's not about some spiel and and somebody going, "Oh, that sounds really cool I'm in, and then you're done. this was about discipleship. This was about not only the, the the same way that Jesus came and lived and demonstrated what it is to be the image of God, demonstrated Torah through his life, thoughts, words, actions, everything. Well, you've got to go do the same, and not just that. It It, it isn't, hey, look at me. It's you need this. You need to come on board. Let me show you. Let me teach you what Jesus taught me. Let me show you how to walk out Torah, not just the rule keeping aspect. It's the it's the, the 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 underlying goal. What are we really getting at here? So, I don't know. I mean, I feel like that's almost what you already said.
1: No, that, but, that helps for sure. Yeah
0: evangelism is a good thing. I think we've just made it goofy. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. It's, but people, how are they going to hear if no one tells them? So, That's I mean, there true. is that that aspect of it, but, but, man, it can't just be words. It can't just be mental assent or a, a prayer. You know, people need to understand you are sacrificing your own life, and you're taking on a new life as a new creation, and it is is under his authority, his lordship, his rule, his guidance, whatever, all that. So it's a big deal. Yeah. Count the cost. We've talked about that some, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to count the cost. All right. Anything else?
1: No, let's go. Let's keep going.
0: All right. So we're moving on to chapter 16, which, I mean, it's not, okay, it's all a big farewell address, but it's kind of sort of a new topic or whatever. But here we go. We'll just see what this is talking about. 16, 1 through... Oh, this is a weird thing, Samuel. I'm actually going to split a verse in half. We're only going to read half of verse 4. So, 16, 1 through 4-ish. Here we go. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when... Whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Okay. Uh, Again, I'm guessing... You're hearing it, things that we've talked about before from that first farewell address. Jesus is telling them things they need to hear, things that he believes will aid them when times are darkest, things that are going to keep them from falling away, and let's say falling away completely from the faith. And, and this whole idea of, of believing, you know, what are, what are they falling away from? Uh, not just their faith, but believing that he is the Messiah and that God has fulfilled his promises through him, etc. He even mentions again that they will be put out of the synagogues. Now, when he says, they will put you out of the synagogue, okay, that actually happened, and it's actually more than once. So the first time, it's before the temple is destroyed, and I, I'm convinced that when you go read the book of Hebrews, this is just an example— I believe that it was written during a time like that. It was before the temple was destroyed, but there were those who had been put out of the synagogues. They were they were literally separated from their ability to worship God, be a part of their community. It was, it was a really, really big deal. And then, of course, it happens after the temple. But he adds this little nugget. Check this out, Samuel whoever kills you is going to think he's helping God. (laughs) To which, I don't know, if I was there, something in the back of my brain would be going, what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure that it probably caught the disciples' ears as well. And even Peter's, you know, Mr. I'm with you to the end, right? What do you mean, whoever kills you? That's like, That's kind of opening it up. You know, it's like it's going to happen and it doesn't even matter who. It's kind of crazy. These, These particular disciples, okay, they should expect to be martyrs. And I think that this is intended for them to hear and take literally. They really need to have that expectation. And this may occur at the hands of either the Jews or the Gentiles, or I don't know, I guess you could say both if you're talking about the whole group. Killing innocents in service to God, it is going to be happening right here with these disciples, the apostles, but Samuel, this happens all through the centuries. It's still happening today. It's, it is a travesty, it's horrible, everything about it, but it's its a misunderstanding. It, it, what, it's important that we blame the right thing. This isn't God or God's plan or, or true Christians doing God's will. <laughs> this is people being messed up. Now, okay, in our Bible, Samuel, has there ever been a time when God did, in fact, command what we would consider his people, the real honest-to-goodness, his people, did he ever command them to kill others in his name? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not to say that it is an impossibility. We're simply acknowledging, yeah, but if you go back through history, there's a whole bunch of killing that's been going on in God's name, and it. I remain open to be corrected, but it seems super obvious that that was not God's command. It was not God's will. This was just people being dumb. It was horrible, horrific, bad, all of that. So we've talked about these disciples, they should expect to be martyrs. But as we've been doing all along the way, this, you know, expectation of martyrdom, well, that should extend to us as well. And we, like them, should be willing to lay down our lives for the sake of, you know, the Messiah, for the sake of God, for the sake of righteousness, for the sake of whatever. Fill in the blank. And here's the key, though, Samuel. We need to be willing to lay down our lives, whether that turns out to be literal, like deny Jesus or I'm going to cut your throat. Well, I'm not going to deny him, so sharpen that thing up. Literal or figurative. I am living among other humans. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's the rest of your family. Maybe it's uh, people at work, people in your church, People. right? Fill in the blank, your community you're figuratively laying down your life so that you might serve others, elevate others, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You've got to be willing to lay down your life all the time. And and it's not a question of gee, I wonder if that will ever come up. No, it is your life every single day. So, you got to be willing to do it. Now, on one hand, there's a huge difference between, you know, literally laying down your life and figuratively laying down your life. But you know, look at it a different way. The other perspective, it's it's kind of the same. I mean, being dead, literally dead, versus walking out God's perfect will on the earth, it sounds like a big difference. But being dead and this, this whole idea of actually dying to yourself, which is walking out God's perfect will on the earth, well, I, I, they're kind of the same. I mean, you still get to be around and do stuff if you're not dead dead, but it's you, your life, your will, it just doesn't fit into the equation anymore. It just doesn't matter anymore. So it's, I don't know, it's a cool, cool part of the story. Now, Jesus adds that the people who will kill them or potentially even us, you know what? They're going to do so for one very simple reason. Now, of course, we can look. Every situation is different. We could come up with all kinds of stuff. But foundationally, down at the root, it's one very simple reason. They don't know God or Jesus or you, for that matter, if you're you know, actually imaging him. They, they just do not get it. I don't know how else to say it. Now, Samuel, I don't know why. This reminded me while I was doing my study. There's this bumper sticker. It's been around for a long, long time. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It says, no God, no peace. And that's spelled N-O, no. No God, no peace. But it continues. No God, no peace. And that's spelled K-N-O-W. If you know God, you will know peace, right? It's this cool bumper sticker. And so it actually kind of, I mean, this whole little section right here really brings that to life. But Jesus says it again, when you are put out of the synagogues and eventually killed, and, you know, everything that may happen in between, well, hopefully you're going to remember all that I've told you, because Jesus, right here, he's predicting it all, and the fact that he is telling them, this is what's coming, well, that should help. And and, and there's an important lesson in this. Samuel, is God actually saving them from the trouble that is to come?
1: Pretty sure a lot of those disciples died after Jesus' ascension, so
0: no. Yeah, not at all. And, I mean, what is he doing? Instead, he's giving them what they need, the strength to walk through it, whatever that means. It doesn't mean... Oh, I survived it. Dodged a bullet. I'm not dead. No, they might actually kill you. But you've got the strength to walk through it. And this, this is the life of a Christian. God is not going to save you from everything. I I can't even tell you he's going to save you from anything. The way he accomplishes his will on the earth is a bit of a mystery to me, and it should be to you and everyone, because it just is. But the life of a Christian says, I know who God is, I know what he wants from me, and if I stick with that, nothing else that life throws at me is going to break me. I can walk through it. And besides, we just talked about, we've got the Spirit and, you know, all of these things. But it's, it's just a good image, a good lesson for all of us. God isn't going to save you from everything.
1: Yeah, that's good. This is a convicting section. Uh, I really like how you painted that, I guess you could say, the openness to to consider that this martyrdom is more than actually losing your for real life, that yeah. it's laying down your life and I could even think maybe in a more basic sense, maybe I'm simplifying it too much, but I would argue that allowing God to discern for you what is right and good and true for what it means to live and to be a human instead of you discerning that on your own terms that is a form of laying down your life like yeah. you are submitting authority to someone else other than yourself um yeah. and that's that's a that's a calling in and of itself like that yeah. that that's a whole lifetime of work right there too yeah. know know the instruction of god and to apply it in that in that way
0: it is the whole story of the bible i mean just go back to the garden of eden what if let's just say at that that pivotal moment Eve had laid down her life, chose God's will instead of her own. I mean, that's the whole story. This is, this is humanity, and God's fixing all that. And I mean, the same is true for Adam. Even after Eve had given it, what if Adam had laid down his life, mm-hmm. right? How does the story look? What, uh, this is, uh, but this is what we're called to. So yeah, it's a great picture. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. All right. Well, we're going to finish Verse 4 in chapter 16, we're going to read 16, the last half of 4, through verse 11, kind of a big section. Here we go. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. All right. Now, right at the beginning, that all seemed like it made a lot of sense. It was easy to follow along. You get down toward the bottom and I don't know, feels a little, it's weird speech, maybe hard, but let's, let's see what's going on in here. Jesus is I mean he's basically saying, look. I waited until the end to tell you some of these things. And and it, it kind of suggests that he knew all of this stuff earlier or I don't know, maybe he knew it always, whatever. But his reasoning is this. I I was with you. I I I was I was already around. I could protect you, I could still teach and guide and show and all those things. But now now he's going away. And so you know, he needed to tell them, let them know, you know, what, what was what was coming on. Now, it's it's strange here. Jesus says he's returning to God, which that's what he means by the one who sent him. He's returning to God, but that none of them are asking where he is going. Well, Samuel, does that strike you as a little bit odd?
1: I feel like I remember disciples saying not too long ago, like, We don't know where you're going, Lord. (laughs)
0: Exactly.
1: How can can we know how to follow you if we don't know where you're going?
0: Yeah, exactly. So again, this gets back to that idea that there was, you know, what appears to be a first farewell discourse and a second one. And the second one, we don't know why it's there. Maybe it's kind of an add-in, maybe it's not, because it's just, it's different. There's some weird little discrepancy like this one right here. So if you wanted to look back, you could go to John chapter 13, verse 36, John chapter 14, verse 5, and you could see that they did indeed ask. But apparently, right here, the way this particular part of the story is being told, they didn't. And so Jesus' point is something like, you know what? You didn't even ask where I was going, so here's the t-. You're more focused on your loss, your sorrow, than you are on what's actually happening. Side note, Samuel, how human is that? I mean, come on. I mean, this one, I don't know. It's almost, it's very, very realistic. But Jesus tries to explain why this is a good thing. And in fact, I would say he leaves a bunch of really good stuff out that's, it's just not included here. I guess we'll have to talk about it in some other scripture someplace else, but he focuses on one very particular and important advantage. As long as Jesus remains with them, the Holy Spirit will not come to them. And in some sense, we have to kind of assume it's in some sort of new or special or different way because the Holy Spirit has been interacting with humans and, and especially among Israel throughout their history. So there's something new and different about it. But Jesus says, if he goes, the Holy Spirit will come. And Jesus sees this as a great advantage. Why is that, Samuel? <laughs> um,
1: to help us understand and obey the scriptures. like it, it It's more universal in terms of the Spirit can go out to the whole world, whereas Jesus was in one place at one time.
0: Look at you, yeah. And he tells us it's a great advantage. I mean, let's just get down to brass tacks, because it is. And we don't have to wonder what that great advantage is, he tells us. Now, I'm I'm sure he's not giving us the exhaustive list, which is why it's great that you answered the way he did, but what he says is the Spirit, which is the sign or the pledge of the new covenant, that's kind of a cool part, is going to convict the world concerning sin, and it's going to convict the world concerning righteousness and it's going to convict the world concerning judgment now notice samuel when he's listing out some of the great advantages of the holy spirit all this stuff notice what he didn't say he didn't say anything about things like tongues or prophecy or healing or right all of the big fancy stuff that we always talk about or you know that we want to see or whatever Well, they didn't make the top of his list, and it doesn't—I'm not saying that those aren't awesome things. I hope that I experience, you experience, everyone experiences those things, whatever. It's fantastic. I'm just saying, when Jesus is talking about it, they're not at the top of his list. And it's just another example of we, we. We just get things upside down. We put the emphasis on the wrong kinds of stuff. But whatever. Anyway, because of the Spirit in them, and I think we could say because of the Spirit in us, the world will feel convicted concerning sin because they don't believe in Jesus. And and it's, it's about not just the person. Did he exist or not exist or whatever? It's his identity, his purpose, his nature. The primary sin that's in view here is unbelief in the face of testimony about him. And as we've often said, this isn't just some sort of mental assent. Many say they believe. In fact, Samuel, I would go so far as to say they believe that they believe. Hmm. But It has to be that that believing comes to life. It's both believing and living according to that belief. It is both faith and faithfulness. Without both, one will, should, still feel the conviction of sin. Because if you're not living out faithfulness, there's going to be sin in your life. A lot more sin than righteousness, let's just say. Now, because of the Spirit in them, the world is also going to feel convicted concerning righteousness because Jesus is going to be resurrected. He's going to go to the Father. What's that about? Well, his resurrection, it's it's kind of the proof of everything. It is God's endorsement of this Jesus character, this Messiah. It is righteousness that leads to life it leads to god he he walked it out and and opened that way now don't adjust your set right i mean you heard me right righteousness that leads to life it isn't saying i believe in jesus that leads to life that leads to god it is righteousness which is it's your belief on two feet, it's your your faith that is uh, that is lived out in faithfulness. Now again, their witness or their testimony or their righteousness and we could say it was ours, too, all of those things our witness testimony righteousness, it convicts them, those who 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 aren't believing in him and and thankfully, let's just throw this out there through grace, Jesus's righteousness, Okay, that becomes ours where we fall short. It makes up the difference. Now, if, if we live out righteousness, I know we say this a million times, Samuel, but I have to keep saying it because people are jumping in in the middle of the podcast episodes. Does your righteousness save you? I hope not. Yeah. It's only through Jesus. Jesus accomplished that work. God and Jesus, the, the, they accomplished this thing. But how is it that you accept him, receive him, believe in him? How do you do it? It's with discipleship, imaging him. That's how you are identified as a sheep and not a goat, a wheat and not a tare, that kind of stuff. So anyway, last bit. Because of the Spirit in them, also in us, the world will feel convicted concerning judgment because of Jesus's life, death, death. And resurrection. And, and, and what that means is Jesus's life, death, and resurrection actually are the judgment of Satan. He has been found wanting. God has, you know, beaten him and proved to be superior, the only true ruler of all, the only one true God. And so in and through them, by extension us, the world will feel the weight of their impending judgment. It has been accomplished against Satan, and, and they, they should feel that also in, in all of the ways that they are agreeing with him instead of with God. Now, all of these things, all of this conviction should come through our lives we the body of christ we should just by our very existence and and in our imaging him it should convict the world the world should recognize the futility of their sin the call to righteousness the weight of their impending judgment all through our lives and it's why we are hated and it's why We may even be killed. (laughs) Nice. (laughs)
1: Oh, Paul, I'm wrestling with this. So are you saying that this uh, hatred or maybe we could generalize it, the opposition that a lot of the secular, secular world expresses towards the Christian life is due to some kind of underlying conviction that is present in their lives. I'm just wondering, because when you brought up these three tenets, I'm like, there's so many people who aren't, I I don't see conviction concerning, what was that first thing you said, like the, the conviction of sin still being present because of that they're not believing in Jesus, or the se- the second tenet, there's no like I, I see people that aren't experiencing this conviction of uh, seeing the righteousness of Jesus's life and a natural inclination to mimic that, and then the third tenet, the the conviction of impending judgment, that just seems to be so absent in modern culture but maybe it is present and there's just suppressing it i don't know i just do do you see what i'm wrestling with here
0: (laughs) yeah i do i I think that i do I, i have two different responses to that one is and this is where everybody thinks i'm just like this mean old judgmental guy whatever it's because the church his body isn't imaging him That's why you're not seeing it. Mm. Now, the other side of that, though, and I think what this text is is getting at, when you see someone who is irritated, angry, uh, even violent, whatever it is, toward, let's just say, you or me or any other Christian, and and it's about, you know, who they are, whatever— it doesn't even have to be about that i mean you you, they could be hating on people and, and it would appear almost for no reason but when you have people who are indeed living in the image of god and other people are bothered by them these are the reasons they are bothered you could be and here here's what it would look like Sammy. here's kind of a thing you could be just like the nicest guy in the world and truly attempting in every way that you can to elevate them, serve them, whatever opportunities arise. You've never done anything to bother them, but, but you live according to the principles of God's nature, Torah, etc. that kind of stuff. And people, they will just not like you I don't know that you've ever experienced that. I know that I have, and this is not me saying, hey, I'm righteous. No, (laughs) I'm saying dumb luck, but whatever. I've had, but when that happens, you can't see it by their words or their actions or any other part of their life, but what's going on inside them is this conviction that we're talking about, these three kinds of things. Does that kind of make some sense?
1: I think so, yeah. It's that first example that you brought up is kind of getting to the heart of if the body of Christ was appropriately taking this gospel of repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, if it was executed successfully in the way that Jesus is intending through his words, that. People would respond with more natural convictions than what we see in the world today, where it's like a, it's almost like a shoeing a of a fly away from people's face because it, right. it feels lackluster or it feels fake or thin, whatever. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And, and that can be true if we think of it corporately, like the body of Christ. Or it could be true if we just think of each one of us individually. There should be something about our life when we are around people who do not believe the way that we believe, it it really kind of should get under their skin. Mm. For some, it actually is going to draw them to God. They're going to want to become like you, in a sense. Some will respond that way, but most are going to respond like like it's an adjective. Adjutant right? It's like a, a little piece of sand in the oyster or what you know mm-hmm. what I mean it's and, and the beauty is that it could produce a pearl if they would respond properly, but yeah, I, I think that this is I would argue that even in America, where I believe that the church has just really really fallen into weakness and and ineffectiveness and all those kind of things, generally speaking. But even though that is the case here in America, I think that you can look at our culture, our society, all the things that are going on, and you can see very clearly that there is a move that is against everything that the church represents. And and it seems, I don't know, sometimes militant, sometimes angry, sometimes this, whatever. You can see all of those things. And I think that behind all of that, those things that are fighting even against this poor, weak church in America, is these things. They are, in fact, being bothered, and it's it's convicting them. And that's why they fight all the harder. They hate it. They want to destroy it. They don't want to feel that conviction. But, mm-hmm. you know, other people may disagree with that, but I think it's a real thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tough section. I, Anything else?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Like I totally get what you brought up concerning this advantage of the spirit being a integral role in convicting the world of these three tenets that we just talked about. But mm, yeah. Paul, I I have to say, if I had an option in my like before me to say, <clears throat> do you want Jesus literally physically staying on Earth and reigning versus? The spirit who is invisible and hard to identify, maybe at times, <laughs> to be in your life. Like, I would choose Jesus every time. Like, even if I couldn't, you know, because he would be reigning from Jerusalem. If the closest I could get would be flying to Jerusalem and being able to see him, like, from the temple, like, f- several thousand feet away, that's still a visual object of my faith that is present for me to see and yeah. i don't know so I, I just struggle with jesus saying that it's to our advantage because i want <laughs> i want jesus here not the not the spirit a lot of times
0: yeah oh i totally know what you're saying invisible is harder than visible you know being able to touch is better than not being able to touch see hear all that stuff uh, you know, if it's the the idea of a still, small voice and the fact that you have to try to discern the difference between the Spirit and just your own self or possibly even the enemy trying to speak to you, I mean, all those things. Yeah, I totally get what you're saying. I think this goes back to—I'm pretty sure we said this on the podcast before. I, sometimes I lose track of where my conversations happen, but it's that idea of, okay, but again, Jesus was one person in one place, for a very short period of time. The Holy Spirit allows people to learn and image Him and become, you know, as much like Him as they can. And so, you're going to have not one, but let's just say millions. Maybe across time, we would say billions. And it isn't just in one place, but it's everywhere. And it's not just at one point in time, but it's across time. And so, the perceived advantage is, you know, how we can affect the world. That's one side of it. The other one is, they got to learn all of this stuff from Jesus by hearing him, watching him, and all those things, but it was for a very limited time. We would call it three years. The Holy Spirit can be working with you over the entire course of your life. So, I mean, just if you're kind of a normal kind of person, what is that going to be? You know, once you reach uh, adulthood, 50, 60, 70 years, something like that, you can can at least imagine how 50, 60, 70 years of the Holy Spirit working on you versus three years with Jesus, well, uh, you could actually end up ahead. So, I totally get what you're saying, but I, that's all I got. That's I. It just, yeah. you know, I think it's a call it a numbers game or something.
1: Yeah, jokingly, uh, I, I hope I, as Paul says in Ephesians 4:30, I hope I did not grieve the Holy Spirit by just yeah. saying now that I prefer <laughs> Jesus compared to yeah. the Spirit.
0: <laughs> no, I think he totally gets what you're saying, but I don't know. Is that unsatisfying or is it satisfying?
1: I, I just think that's I'm pushing back against the this eastern reality of spiritual life the mystery of god like yeah even god in the old testament coming to the patriarchs like it didn't happen in a physical manifested way Uh, right it it often still came with lots of mystery and transcendence behind it so i I need to learn to be comfortable with that uncomfortable nature of god expressing himself in a broken, finite creation.
0: Yeah. Well, here's the thing. This may be one of those things where, you know what? You live a long, full life, and it still just never gets resolved in you. It always remains some sort of weird kind of question, mystery, something. Or it could be something that gets resolved, you know, next month or ten years from now. I mean, we don't know. We don't know for you, but... That is okay. You can still very still feel very confident, comfortable, you know, this this idea that God's in control, that this all does make sense, even though certain parts don't make sense to me personally. You don't have to let someone try to give you their idea, their explanation, their whatever, and go, Oh, okay. It's like, yeah, I, I appreciate you telling me all that, and I still have this this mystery. Sorry. Thanks for trying. Right? That's yeah. all okay. It's, it's totally cool. So, uh, anything else?
1: Nope. let I've stayed on this section for probably too long.
0: <laughs> well, no, that's fine. Let's, let's go ahead to the next bit. I think we can get at least one more little section in here and uh, see if we can either expose or eliminate some more mystery. <laughs> this is John chapter 16. We're looking at verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Just another one of those, I don't know if Jesus really talks like this or this is just the way John writes down what Jesus said or whatever. but all right, let's see if we can break this down and try to make it a little clearer. First of all, how interesting is it that Jesus himself is going, man, I got so much more I'd like to say to you right now, <laughs> but he can't say it. And, and, and it's because they just couldn't take it. It's just too much all at once. And so Jesus is content to leave the remainder of his teaching, instruction, all of those things. He's content to leave that for the spirit to tell them. Teach them. Guide them. Show them. Jesus says that the Spirit will lead them into all truth. Now, Jesus had all the truth. God has all the truth. Spirit has all the truth. But, you know, I mean, just think of it like kind of like what we had just finished talking about, Samuel. Jesus ran out of time. He just can't get it all out, can't get it all across. But the Spirit has it all, and he can lead them into it all. The potential is there. Doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work out for all of us. We can be pretty thick-headed, but it's there. This this statement, I think, to me, and this is, I don't know, kind of more of an answer to what you just questioned, Samuel. I think that this whole idea, the Spirit leading them uh, available, uh, leading them into all truth, it's kind of the epitome of comfort. I mean, how could any human, and I'm going to say a clear-headed human, because again, we all we can be pretty thick, but how could we want for anything more? We have access to all truth. I mean, that can't be a bad thing. Now, I get your preference for something tangible and real and right in front of my face, but this, it's a good thing. So in case anyone was wondering, and that could be then or even now, how can this be so? Well, Jesus is going to try to explain. Whatever you hear the Spirit speaking, you need to know that He is not speaking on His own authority. And Two things. He will, number one, only speak what He hears, and that, that is how He's going to guide us into all truth. Okay, And number two, He will declare things that are to come give you some sort of view into, I guess, the future, right? Now, in doing these two things, the Spirit is going to be glorifying Jesus. Now, I'm just going to say this because this is the way it hit me. I kind of expected the text to say that it would be glorifying God, but it doesn't. It says it's going to be glorifying Jesus, so hang with me, and we'll just kind of talk about why that is. How is it that the Spirit glorifies Jesus? Well, he does this by speaking, relating, teaching, whatever, Jesus' words, Jesus' teaching, Jesus' example, all of that. The Spirit is going to take what is his, Jesus', and declare it to you, the disciples and even us. And then Jesus clarifies See, all that the Father has, well, that's mine. Jesus was only ever saying what he heard the Father saying. Jesus only ever taught what the Father was teaching him. So when Jesus says, what is mine, it's what God has given to him. It's the same thing as saying, what is God's? He got it all from God. And Jesus felt that it was important to make this point. In effect, the Spirit is going to be declaring God's truth. Now, it just so happens that this is also Jesus' truth because Jesus got his truth from God. Does that all make sense? Again, Jesus emphasized his own submission and deference to the father and of course we know while there remains this complete and utter unity with the father so i don't know i i think that's a interesting little section but that's my take on it what do you got samuel
1: i don't know what it is about today paul but i'm feeling feisty with some of jesus's words i'm <laughs> not that I'm like, not that I'm like doubting them. I just, I'm, I'm struggling to see the spirit, uh, work in the way that the text seems to imply. Like, okay. So for example, verse 13, the very beginning, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And then later in the verse, he will declare to you all the things that are to come to me. That seems pretty one dimensional. Like if, you know, if, if we think about Jesus's life as a teacher and as a rabbi, people came up to him asking him for truth. Like he may have uh, structured it slightly mysteriously through a parable to get them to think, but oftentimes he was trying to make complex things more clear for the people yeah. who were seeking it. Yeah. So, so I see the church all across America and the world, and people who are. I would say that there is an earnestness there to want to seek God, to want to know Him, to want to learn what His truth is and trying to interact with the Spirit. But then it results in all of this crazy teaching that does not align with anything that we have been walking through the past two plus years with the Scriptures and their original context and You know, it fuels misconception and it fuels wrong learning. And so it's just, I don't know if you're seeing my internal struggle here, but.
0: (laughs) Yeah, if all these people have the spirit, how can they all be just so completely going off, you know, on a weird tangent? Yeah. I mean, shouldn't the spirit be keeping them in check? Right? That's what you're saying. Why am I not seeing that? And couldn't we... All of us say the very same thing about our own lives at different points, many points even. How come I was thinking such a stupid thing when now all of a sudden, you know, it seems much more clear that this is right and, oh my gosh, I was wrong before, whatever. It's a very complex issue, Samuel, and... and. <sighs> Again, this is one of those answers. I don't think it's going to be entirely satisfying, but I think I'm at least going to peck at some little bits of truth. If the Spirit were to speak to any one of us something that went against what we currently already think or believe, our preconceived ideas, what are the possible outcomes of that, Samuel?
1: Uh, We either... Try to correct that misthinking and accept what the Spirit is offering as an alternative, or we reject it.
0: Right. Okay. <laughs> Do you hear the answer that's coming? <laughs> yeah. So there's another complication. Let's hold on to that one. We have the ability to either listen or not listen. Second, we've talked about it already. Let's say that you are, I don't know, sitting at your desk, you're reading through your Bible, whatever and a little a little thought pops in your head and let's just again let's keep it in simple categories where might that thought have come from
1: could have come from your own conscience or it could have divine inspirations too or could be both
0: or even the enemy oh yeah yeah i'm going to i'm going to twist the scripture right now i mean what is what does Satan do a lot in Scripture stories?
1: He takes the actual truth that God speaks, but then he fr- phrases it in a certain way for it to be deceitful. Yeah,
0: yeah, he twists it. So you're sitting there and you're studying, and a, po- a thought pops in your head. How do you know who you're even hearing, right? So there is, there's this thing, Paul talks about it in a couple different places in in his letters. Samuel, we have to work at discerning what his good, perfect will is. We have to work at that. And the tools that are at our disposal are, number one, the Spirit. It's a good thing. It's an awesome thing. But we have to learn through I guess, practice, I don't know what else to call it, to to discern that voice among the others. But also, we've got the scriptures themselves, the Old Testament, the Torah especially, where God actually has uh, made his will known through all of these stories, and even through like some of the the laws, the commands, all those things, through all of it, he's made that known. And, One final tool we we should have, but we've mostly lost, is the idea of discipleship, other teachers, knowledge being passed down so that we can know and understand him better. The fact that we don't really have good discipleship, even good teachers for disciples, generally speaking, the fact that... I mean, for most people, they they think that their Old Testament's nothing more than, you know, it's just kind of an interesting historical kind of thing. We just look at it because there's some fun stories in there for the kids or whatever. We don't actually look into it to try to see the underlying wisdom about righteousness and justice and mercy and all those things. Because we don't use that tool, we're sitting around trying to discern what is right and good In our own heads, the spirits, let's just say, trying to speak, we are maybe occasionally hearing and accepting, and other times hearing and rejecting, but we are so ineffective because of these things, and that leads to all this weirdness. And when somebody comes along in the place of a teacher and says, here's truth, here's what this means, here's what that means— and you believe them because you have no other reason not to, well, when the Spirit speaks and it contradicts that, what are you going to do? You're likely to reject it. So it's a very difficult circumstance that we've, I was going to say, placed ourselves in. Maybe we could say that we have been placed in, whatever. But it's just, it's a really hard thing, Samuel, and it's something, that's why, We say that this is such a high calling, and it's something that, I mean, you've got to give your life up. You have to go after this with everything that is in you, and you've got to find the good teachers, the good whatever, to help along the way. And you have to accept the Scriptures as the the real instructor that they still are for all of us, Jew or Gentile, whatever, doesn't matter. And it's, I don't know. It's just a hard thing. It's just a hard thing.
1: Yeah. uh, Something that just came into my mind while you were saying all that is that maybe there's also the possibility that this dynamic of the Spirit guiding people into all the truth and declaring things that are to come, maybe that's been consistent all along. Like we could treat it as like a radio frequency from a radio tower transmitting out. You know, into the (laughs) distance. But it's humans and their junk that's, like, causing disruption in that frequency that's blocking. Yeah, interfering with people actually being able to hear that sound, that calling. um, And it's, like, it is such a complex thing to think about. It's, like, (laughs) you know, whatever point in time in the past where the idea got started that the the Jewish Eastern manner of the scriptures is irrelevant or not applicable. And it's turned into this endemic reality for yeah. the entire church. It's almost yeah. like a, a disease that's present and yeah. it's the blind leading the blind. And it's just, it makes podcasts like, you know, what we're doing, what Bayma discipleship, what Bible project, like, that's our whole mission is to try to break up that interference because people people need it so badly.
0: Yeah, and here's one extra little thing I want to do before we go. You know, Jesus is speaking to them specifically. We keep trying to extend it out to us. I think we do so rightly. However, there is something different here, and I would even go so far as to say, you know what these original apostles got because they were witnesses? The measure of the Spirit that they got, I believe it's something different and special compared to us. So this whole idea of them guiding them into all truth and telling them of things to come, I I would never say that that is not for us too, but I think that they got a greater measure. Remember how Jesus got the fullness of the Spirit and it remained on him. These apostles didn't get that, but I think that they did get something that was, you know, relatively greater than what all of the rest of us get, because they were the witnesses. They were the ones that were getting this whole party started. So, true or false, you can disagree or agree, it doesn't really matter. But the point is, I believe for them, there there was something something different and enabled them a a slightly different way which is why we end up you know in the difficulty that we're in but i don't know have we tortured them enough samuel
1: yeah let's uh package up these wrestlings in a to-go box and
0: (laughs) (laughs) take them home all right well you just ordered takeaway and you didn't even know it all (laughs) right let's get out of here okie dokie
1: thank you for listening to the okie dokie most podcast Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com and if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.